On today's episode, we discuss multi-level marketing, side hustles, expanding your zone of awareness, and energy audits. Welcome to the Ultimate Crowdsource Personal Finance Show. This is your Friday Roundup. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. All right, guys, super excited to dive into this past week's episode. And to help me with this, I have my co-host, Brad, here with me today. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan, I am doing quite well. Yeah, we're getting ready to go to Camp 5 Mid-Atlantic this weekend. That should be fun. I'm hoping, as always, to uh, hold on to my voice here. But other than that, yeah, doing well. I have something that I just have to like almost interrupt you to tell you. I was so, uh, <laughs> I just can't believe this came on my radar. What an opportunity. I got an email from an old colleague that I had worked with back in the day. And the email basically said, Hey, I saw you get, you're doing something online. And I was wondering if you're open into additional business, uh, venture opportunities. <laughs> my like red alert radar system was like going yeah. off. It just felt like, <laughs> yeah, a, that's a spidey sense thing, right? <laughs> I just, when you get like this vague, super, super vague email, Actually, Brad, that same day I messaged you and I said, Brad, um, I think I just got pitched on a uh, an MLM type program, one of these kind of multi-level marketing type programs. I'm not sure it was super vague and there is context for just going to hang out and catching up, but I'm pretty sure I just got invited to a MLM lunch and, and just with our particular situation as podcasters in the personal finance space who talk about stories in our own personal lives, <laughs> it almost felt too good to be true. <laughs> but I messaged you, if you remember, and uh to which your response was, no, no, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's just a catch up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but my spidey sense was like, it was tingling, man. So uh, I, I go to lunch, I go, I go get coffee and sure enough, within five minutes, the, the binder has been broken out and it's Amway. Now, when I was 18 years old, now quite literally, this is a story that spans a decade, right? When I was 18 years old, I was walking around in a Best Buy looking for a uh, Sony Walkman or something of some such. Maybe it was a CD player at this particular point in time. And I had a similar person kind of solicit me in the aisle, ask me if I would said I look like a very entrepreneurial type of person, ask me if I was interested in a business opportunity. I don't know why that's always the opening line, but at the age of 18, it was just, yeah, of course I'm interested. You're telling me there's a guaranteed path to wealth and, and I can I can work my own hours. I can have this creative lifestyle. I can design my own future. And all I need to do is come with you to this, uh, to this seminar. Well, why not? Well, I did not uh, end up pursuing it there mostly because uh, just, I don't know what it was. Even at that point, at the age of 18, that just felt like something didn't quite connect. But now at the age, in my thirties, I'm presented with this exact same opportunity and I'm sitting down from lunch and I, and I don't know if this guy exactly knows what he's getting into when he's sitting down with me, but, uh, it was a much different conversation. And, uh, I, I, I think I, I think I want to share parts of it with you. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you pushed back, you didn't just sit idly by and listen to the spiel, right? Like you actually pushed back on it. I did push back. Yes. Yes. I, I pushed back. So, uh, I'm listening to the pitch and I said, all right, well, hang on just a second. Let, let's just pause for a second here. I don't, particularly want to be selling these types of products. Like nothing in the Amway lineup looks that appealing to me. Like 
energy drinks. I can get energy drinks somewhere else. He's like, well, no, that's not the point. The point isn't to sell products. It's to like, you get other people underneath you and, and they, and, and then they do the same thing. And I was like, yeah, but, but ultimately that's just friction. At the end of the day, there has to be a product that is being sold. You can't just go straight to, Hey, let me get other people to do this because you're just adding cost and overhead ultimately to a product. If your product is lackluster. And in your case, we're talking about toilet paper and regular stuff that you can buy from either anywhere you can get anywhere else for less, but it's higher quality. Well, maybe, maybe it's that, but you're competing with, you're competing with Amazon, man. And Amazon doesn't have layers and layers of individual people that are collecting commissions. So there's like no real runway for this to be a competitive market because your product is vague. You're not running on your product. You're not running on how amazing this thing is. We're just selling it on hey, you can have other people underneath you and then you can collect this passive income. It's quite possibly the least passive income strategy that I could ever possibly imagine because you're not in the business of selling a product. You're in the business of selling other people to sell other people to sell other people, right? I mean, that's the entire business model is how can I get five other people or a hundred other people to do exactly what I'm doing right now, which is to find people inside of Best Buys and offer them business opportunities. That was basically the conversation that I had. (laughs) (laughs) I'm usually like very passive, but I think I was like acting on behalf of my 18 year old self, like everything that I probably should have said then, but didn't, I just kind of laid it all on the table. And then after that, I think he got the sense that I probably wasn't going to come to the, uh, to to the webinar, to the homebrew, come to someone's house to watch a presentation on it. And uh, we had an awesome conversation and enjoyed our coffee. But um, yeah, have you ever had like, have you ever had a situation like that where you've been offered an incredible business opportunity? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, maybe I put off negative vibes or something. Nobody's ever really pitched me on anything like that. Certainly in the last like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years from the far, far reaches of my memory banks. I'm remembering something maybe when I was like 23, there was some like, real estate investing course or something. And it was, it was basically like, oh, we're going to make, we'll make you famous. You sound really intelligent. We'll put you on our advertising. I'm like, I'm just some random dude that they're calling Jonathan. It was like a boilerplate type thing where that movie, where the hard sell, they brought in Mr. So-and-so the guy wasn't referred to by his first name. Like he was the closer. It was Mr. Smith. And (laughs) you know, it was just hilarious. So I actually played along for I think I got probably about two hours of phone calls and I eventually just bailed on it, obviously. So but, you did but, have one of these experiences. I wasn't I, sure if yeah. that's where your story was going to go. <laughs> yeah. In fairness, I would never have remembered that ever in my entire life if you didn't bring this up four minutes ago. So you never know, right? Well, the way it normally goes, and actually, Zach, before I even do that, Zach's in the studio with us. Zach, has this? have you ever been propositioned on one of these types of deals? multiple times in Singapore and here in the US. So how far did you get, man? Did you get to the first, second pitch? Like Oh, uh, <laughs> various stages. So back in Singapore, I actually attended this energy drink conference thing where I went and they tried selling us on how awesome it was. We got free drinks and it was a, a little bit of a party. And then they started telling us that, oh, to get in, you'd have to buy like these massive cases of energy drinks and then try and basically peddle them to other people and get other people to peddle them for you. And then I started asking a bunch of questions and they were super dodgy about answering a lot of questions. That was the same experience I got over here. Like the instant I started asking the more deep questions, the person who was trying to recruit me suddenly became really cold and kind of snarky. Yeah. No, it's like, a weird experience. No, it's like, it's a sign. There should be no, when you're looking at starting a business, there should be no question that's off limits. Absolutely none. If you feel like someone evades your question to any degree, 
It's a horrible, horrible sign. The fact that the only people that stick with something, the ones that aren't willing to ask those hard questions is a great indicator for you of how south this can go. Like the attrition rates on these types of programs are so crazy high. And I was making this point to this guy, like I'm not diametrically opposed to all MLMs. And and I'm very pointedly, I'm not saying the word pyramid scheme. I'm talking about MLMs, multi-level marketing. I have been around many of them. My grandmother worked for Shackley for a very, very long period of time. They have a diet supplement or a nutrition line that people are fanatical about. They're, they're just huge fans. And I guess to my grandmother's credit, she has been only using that line of product. She's in well into her 80s, is not on a single prescription medication. You know, I don't know if that's genes or whether or not it's Shackley, but there are great products out there that people can advocate for. But when you are solely buying into a business model to get other people to buy into a business model and you could care less about the product, like you don't believe in the product, you just like the idea, it's probably not going to end well. And beyond that, if you're getting into one of these, like I I do know individuals, just a few, just a handful that are making crazy amounts of money working for an MLM. When I look at kind of their trajectory, they got in very early, right? I mean, the longer that these programs exist, the farther you are down in the ranks, the farther market saturation is, the harder and harder it is to actually create something for yourself that is long-term sustainable. And it's not passive. It is probably one of the hardest business models I can imagine. And you just got to realize when you're going into it, you are not in the business of selling a product, right? If you are going to be successful, it has nothing to do with how much product you churn. Absolutely none. It has to do with how many people you get to do what you are doing, right? I mean, that's the passive income play. And what it ends up looking like, I mean, for the vast majority of people, let's use this Amway example, you go and you you get these sample energy drinks, you like it, you sign up for it, you buy your certain amount, and then you go and you sell to your, your, your network, your social circle. You burn through all your friends and family because you're getting them to try it and do exactly what you're doing because it's the low-hanging fruit. And then you realize that it's kind of hard or that it's really hard. And then as soon as you get outside of your immediate social circle, it's even harder. And then you burn out and you give up. And I saw this mirrored in the lives of like well over 10 of my friends that kind of in this period of time, they just were either exposed to the similar types of marketing that was going on. They gave it a try, whatever, whatever, like none of them lasted. And so I'm sure there is somebody that will find out about Amway tomorrow or next year or whatever. And there will be an individual that does really, really well but it's likely not going to be you. I mean, that's just, it's just, I don't know. I I feel there are so many easier ways to create income for yourselves. And I would hate for someone to think that entrepreneurship is an MLM because that is probably one of the harder paths to this that I can imagine. Yeah. And Jonathan, I'm always looking kind of for the larger point. This is a really interesting story that you got pitched on Amway, right? But in larger context, what you're talking about is creating great products, believing in your business, being authentic, simplicity. Because to your point, when there are dozens of layers of profit centers in something, that's not very simple. Can you imagine Amazon ever having that business model? No, obviously not. It's about having the best selection, having the best product, and selling it as inexpensively as you can. I mean, I I think that probably would somewhat summarize their business model here. For me, it's always about simplicity and authenticity. Because as Alan talked about in this episode of Monday, we talked about failure. And I've been very public on this podcast about many of the failures that I've had with online businesses. And a lot of it stemmed from not being authentic. We've talked about this before with these stupid SEO gaming sites that I had that were just preposterous. And I can't imagine 
in 2019, the 2019 Brad ever even contemplating doing something like that. But in 2011, 2012, that was in my zone of awareness, right? That was all I knew about online business, which is, is sad that I didn't expand my horizons beyond that. But once I realized that this wasn't something that I wanted to be involved in from the core of my being, I pivoted and I said, I will never do something that I'm not passionate about and that I don't believe in ever again. And that really, truly, Jonathan, was the turning point for me in my online businesses. And Brad, I love how you mentioned zone of awareness, you know, in, in the context of your story, because that's what I think is really cool about this. You know, someone that is willing or has already gone down the path of an MLM has already exhibited many of the characteristics necessary to start a side hustle or their own business. You know, and it may be that they end up going the MLM route and they find one. And, and if they do that, it, my best advice would be find a product that you just get so excited about that you want to shout it from the rooftops and not one of these, you know, kind of fake enthusiasms, but one that you use it on your own and you're so excited about and you can't find it anywhere else. And this is the only place you can get, it. if that's your case, like, I don't know, whatever it may be for you, whether it be a cosmetic or a fitness wear or a vitamin or supplement, whatever it is, if, if that's your story, then it's going to come through and you're already an ambassador for it. You know, just like Brad and I, we're, we're ambassadors for the concept of financial independence. You don't need to pay us to talk about it. It's what we would be talking about anyways. That's a really good sign that you have alignment and that that's probably worth, you know, pursuing the, then the question becomes, are you best served doing it, you know, in the context or pursuing entrepreneurship in the context of an MLM? Or is there another way that you could take this skill set, this desire for entrepreneurship, and you could create a side hustle around it? You know, work for an MLM, maybe you'll make some money. Start an MLM and you'll make crazy amounts of money. That's one approach. Or forget the MLM structure altogether. What would it look like to actually beginning to create a product, find an audience for it, create marketing around it? What if your excitement about one product actually inspired you because of your zone awareness to research all the different things that you don't know that you don't know? And then once you have that, get up the audacity to actually pursue starting a business to serve a very specific niche or a very specific audience or community that is replicable and you don't need permission from anybody, but what you might need is a little bit of bandwidth in your life. And that's what, you know, coming back to our theme, financial independence, that's what the pursuit of financial independence actually gives you. It gives you the bandwidth to pursue something that maybe you didn't have the courage to pursue when you were 17 or 18 years old, when you picked that initial job based on whatever, whatever. Maybe as you get a little bit more space between yourself and the financial cliff, you can pursue something that would have been a little bit scary. And that's what Alan was talking about over and over again. How do you know if you're going to like it? The same way you know if you like a flavor of ice cream, try everything. Brad, my love for ice cream causes me a lot of regret because I can't seem to reel it in. But I get the concept there and I apply that to every other aspect of my life. Yeah, and Alan talked about this suit of armor that Christian Bryce from Millennial Revolution initially told us about. And it's it allows him, as he said, to be bolder, right? He has no fear of repercussions because what's the worst that can happen to him? He can be more authentic now and he can stand up and say to major corporations in Britain, I don't think you're doing this right. And I mean, Alan is increasingly becoming famous there and what he says carries weight. And that, I mean, that's just super cool that he can do this without fear of repercussions, because what can they do to him? Can they shut off money to him? Can they fire him? Can they not advertise for pop-up business school? What does he care? He doesn't dabble in that kind of stuff anyway, but what would he care even if they did it? There are certainly other companies he could work with that are aligned with him. 
And that's the beautiful thing. Even if there weren't, he doesn't need the money. And man, that just gives you so much more freedom, so much more flexibility. Now, obviously, Alan is either at Phi or very close. So, I mean, he's far along this path. But Jonathan, to your point, having a little bit of bandwidth, having $2,000 in the bank, $5,000, $10,000, these are not world-changing amounts on the cosmic scheme of Phi. But man, if you've been living paycheck to paycheck and you've had credit card debt, getting back to broke and then having five or $10,000 in the bank, that changes your entire life. It gives you that much more bandwidth. It gives you freedom. It gives you flexibility. And it gives you that first little touch of that suit of armor. And in Alan's case, it allows him to follow his dreams. As he said, he's always wanted to write a screenplay. You know what? Damned if he didn't do it, right? He flew to Los Angeles, uprooted his entire life, put his business, right? And his involvement in the Papa Business School on hold for nearly two months and was just living in Los Angeles, writing a screenplay. He might never sell that thing or he might go on to be famous as a screenwriter, but it almost doesn't matter, right? It was that following the dreams and what that suit of armor provided him that is just really, really remarkable. And you could just hear the enthusiasm in his voice. And Brad, you know, tying this back to other other episodes that we've done, as we were kind of talking about this, I was really reminded of an episode 67 of our podcast. We talked to a Lynn from Free to Pursue and David from Raptitude. And there was something that was mentioned in passing that I wanted to circle back to. A Lynn wrote an article called Lion or Lamb. What is at the core of that is your ability to be taken advantage of. When you arm yourself with knowledge, when you arm yourself with bandwidth, when you're not operating from a place of scarcity, you are able to withstand the type of scare tactics that you were describing kind of earlier on from Mr. Smith. You are able to withstand kind of that pressure to make a quick rush judgment because whatever, because you have bandwidth in your life. You don't need this. You are choosing to put your time into something, but it is not a make or break type situation. You're doing many experiments and then you're moving, you're failing forward, right? And you're moving that into the next thing until you find alignment in your life. That's what everybody should be striving for is to get to the place where they are making intentional choices about how they want to use their time. And if you're going to lean into a side hustle, you should be looking for alignment. You should be looking for something that lights you up, looking for something that actually leans on your strengths. You shouldn't be putting yourself into an additionally toxic situation. You don't need that because you're following a simple path to wealth. You're going to be okay either way. You're just taking this excess of time that you've carved out for yourself by getting rid of situations that no longer light you up and you're putting it into something that adds value to your life. Let's just be very intentional with what we take on as a community because we don't we don't have to do something just because someone else is hard selling us on something. It doesn't have to work that way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I think what you talked about in there about educating yourself and getting skills, that to me is, is really the bedrock fundamental aspect of what we're talking here at Choose a Vibe, right? It's creating that talent stack. It's getting that information so you're not going to be that lamb that people can take advantage of. And Alan described a situation where it's not linear right? This, this was really crucial because to me, while I think taking action is the hardest thing for people to do initially, right? To, to get up off that couch and take action. And I think what we've done here at Choose Avaya is, is try to get people to listen to these episodes and have these actionable takeaways that they can put into place immediately. So I think that's the hard part, but really, Jonathan, sticking with it over the long term, especially when you're not seeing results. Like Alan was talking about, okay, I've 
got my fitness right. I've got my nutrition right. And it's been 10 days and I haven't lost 20 pounds and look like a supermodel. That's just not the way the world works. It's not linear. There will come a point if Alan keeps working out and eating right, who knows what it is, it's five months, 12 months, 24 months, that he's going to look pretty darn good. And I'm using him as an example here. I'm not sure if he's even doing this, but that's the way it works. It's not linear. None of this is. You put in the work, you'll see results down the line. And he's saying, quote, you look like an overnight success, but people don't see the 10 years of work that goes in first. And I mean, how many people are going to give up before you get to that point? And Jonathan, we've had a lot of people on this podcast talk about blogging success and what it's taken. And in many cases, it's taken constant, reliable posting for years, three times a week for five to 10 years, right? That's what Michelle from Making Sense of Sense described. And she's making well over a million dollars now every single year. But it didn't start out like that. Just like anybody with a business, it started out with that first dollar, really. Probably in her case, it was that first 10 cents on a Google AdSense click or some such. But it's not linear. You put in the work and you stick to it and good things are going to happen. And I mean, finally, to Alan's point, have a go, have faith and keep going because what's the alternative? He said, sit on your couch and, and watch Netflix. Is that a viable alternative? No, it's not. Have a go. That's, that's the best way to put it. And when you mentioned what's the alternative, I think that's the piece for our community. That's the other half of this, right? So many of us pick a script out for our life at the age of 17 years old. All right, I'm going to do this. And then our thirties, maybe we, maybe we like it. Maybe we tolerate it. Maybe we hate it. But because it's the script that we picked at 17, we don't feel like we can give ourselves permission to change course, to do a 180, to go in a different direction. We stay in our lane. We follow the standard narrative. We follow the script. And I guess the, the challenge, like the counterpoint, at least with MLM, you are getting out, you, you are trying something new. I think all I'm really hoping to do with this conversation is just encourage someone to increase their zone of awareness and be willing to step outside of the script they chose at 17 years old, to be willing to try something new. What I hope to do, Brad, I know both of our goals with this podcast is to highlight enough examples of people that have stepped out of the lane, stepped out of their lane, expanded their zone of awareness, but then also shortened the learning curve, right? It doesn't have to be, it can be really painful if you're just totally doing this in the dark. But if you can learn from other people's successes and probably even more importantly, other people's failures, then potentially this is a lot less rocky of a path. Yeah, and Jonathan, this reminded me of a quote that Alan said, which is, if you want the same results as everyone else, do the same as everyone else. If you want different results, do something different. If you want exceptional results, do something exceptional. And Alan said they stepped out of their comfort zone and they did exceptional things. They saved 93% of their income. They started businesses. They, they looked at what do we want our lives to look like and they designed that life. And I just think that's brilliant. And, and yeah, I mean, just kind of going back to, to zone of awareness, I think this is a crucial, crucial topic and being a part of this community, this choose if I community and, and being a part of the podcast, but really listening to the podcast has opened my own zone of awareness just dramatically. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking just off the top of my head and I'm probably going to kick myself for, for leaving out a bunch of topics, but, but college, I mean, that's the one that you always joke with me on, right? Of Brad from early 2017 said, wow, I don't know if you can do college for under 
$40,000 a year or some such, which I still am. I think it was 40 in your defense. I think it was $40,000 total. Okay, good, good, good. I was going to say, I, <laughs> I, I still find it hard that I, that I said that out loud, but uh, yeah, I mean, even 40 K and now that's something that my zone of awareness has been expanded so significantly by people like Cody Berman, who came in and talked to us about how he applied for tons of scholarships and really came up with a system to be able to apply for these things in a very orderly fashion. So it wasn't laborious every single time. We talked to Noah and Becky from Money Metagame and they talked about, what was it, the, the caddy scholarship, Jonathan, right? Like they were literally golf caddies in high school and they got full rides to Purdue, which is a phenomenal school. So, I mean, there are just all these different options. Community college we've talked about. In Virginia, there's this guaranteed admissions program. If you go to community college for two years, you live at home, it just costs you a couple thousand bucks you can go to UVA or William Mary or Virginia Tech and go for two years and get the same degree. All these little things that my mind has been open up to. And it's not that every single thing you find out you use, but over time you start to weave a strategy, a comprehensive strategy, and you get to select, you know, like for instance, if I were to look at, like, let's look at the expense side of things. Before this podcast and long before financial independence, I would have had no idea of the true cost of car ownership. I would have looked at the payment. I would have looked at whether or not it's paid off. That's about the extent of it. I would have never considered depreciation cost, opportunity cost, gas maintenance, and probably the largest point going back to opportunity cost, your alternate examples. So the person that has pay manages payments their entire duration, they have modest payments, their entire investing career versus the person that buys a new car, a modest new car, and just drives it for at least 15 years and then gets a new one over and over again. Like that one change was worth a million dollars. That's a framework shifting type of concept. House hacking. At this point in time, I feel like I've missed my window for house hacking. I get it's a limiting belief, but for my family, very small chance we are actually going to do that personally. But because I know about it and I know how powerful it is, I am leaning on my younger brother to pull this off, right? As this is an incredibly viable model. And if you do this for even a short period of time, you're basically set for life. I mean, it just, it just covers, it, it's such a force multiplier. And then the anchoring concept that you use, you really helped me firm up my cost of consumption. So anchoring myself to $2 per person per meal, regardless of whether or not I hit that amount every single time I eat. The anchoring concept is so powerful to me because when I go to a restaurant and I spend $50 a person, you know, like I'm anchoring myself to $2 a person per meal. I'm like, wow, I blew it. So when my money is all gone at the end of the month, I know what happened. Like I am accountable to that. I'm not drifting and saying, well, what happened to my money? I am at that spot, that point in time saying, these are the small choices that is, are robbing my financial future. You know, I'm not telling you never go out to eat, never go to a restaurant, but like having that anchor in place is so powerful. And, and that's just on the expenses side of things. Yeah. And Jonathan, I think what you said there at the end is really important. It's not about not going out to dinner. It's just understanding what you value, right? And having that anchor, I think is important. So it's there. You understand that just like we anchor ourselves to a 50% savings rate here in the Phi community, right? If you get a 48% savings rate or even a 35% savings rate, are you a failure? No, of course not. Because what do regular average Americans anchor themselves to? 5%, 10% if you're lucky, and that's people who are doing really well. But if you anchor yourself to 50%, even if you come up a little bit short, you're doing phenomenally well. And I mean, I think going back to the expenses for a second, this is not the ultra frugality show. This is not the deprive yourself 
live this kind of miserly, miserable life, and then reach phi and expect it to be nirvana. That's not the way the world works. This is about finding what you value in your life and pursuing it, okay? So to me, I don't pinch every penny. I've set up a structure and a framework of my life that just does not cost that much because we don't want a lot of things. We don't, we don't value them, okay? So we don't value furnishings in our house. We don't value expensive cars. We don't value going out to dinner. But that allows us then to buy craft beer or be generous to our kids' teachers and, and have our kids sign up for a very expensive year-round swimming program. Does that make me like anti-fi? No, of course not. That is a preposterous thought. It means I find what I value in my life and that's what we pursue. So I think I, I always want to hit this. This is not about pinching pennies. It's not about ultra frugality and deprivation. It's about value. I sometimes see like somebody show or mention a purchase and someone else say, well, that's not very fi of you. And I always like in my mind kind of want to pause on that and highlight it and, and, and say, is that, is that really where we're at? Like, is, is that it? Because in my mind, the pursuit of financial independence doesn't really have anything to do with like your individual purchases. What it has to do with is, is a strategy for your life. Do you know where your financial future is headed? Do you have a plan for that? If someone is hitting a 50% plus savings rate and they make what to you seems like a very lavish purchase, are they now somehow less on the path to financial independence? To me, the answer is clearly not. And, and let's just, we have to stay here longer. Zone of awareness. Let's go back and let's talk about tax strategies. I'll be honest with you, before really doing this podcast, I mean, even when I was looking at the financial independence community, but until I got the opportunity to really restate and verbalize these ideas, I did not appreciate the full awesomeness of our tax code for people that live below their means, for people that have been able to create savings in their life and take advantage of tax advantage vehicles. I knew it intellectually, but I wasn't living it out. And now I go through my year saying, how can I hit these tax advantage buckets? Because the math is so powerful. This is now in my zone of awareness. I am anchored to taking advantage of tax advantage vehicles. Yeah. And Jonathan, even as a CPA, right? So Laura and I are both CPAs, but we never, to my recollection, maxed out our 401k while I was working in corporate America. Now, the Brad of 2019 couldn't imagine doing that, but it's because my zone of awareness has been increased that it makes such a huge difference. We talk about controlling what you can control here at Choose Up High and your tax rate to a very large degree is something that's under your control. We talked about these strategies that never would have crossed my mind. Capital gains, tax harvesting. Who has ever done that where they basically force a taxable event, but because they're in a tax bracket where basically the government's saying, okay, I understand that's a taxable event, but we're not going to charge you anything. Who knows that that exists? But now hundreds of thousands of people know it. And I know even like my own brother, he's implementing that in his life. So he's raising the basis on all of his investments and basically lowering this built-in gain that exists. And, and it's really amazing. So people are putting this stuff into place just from what they've learned on this podcast. And I, and I love that. And myself now, we max out our HSA. We have uh, 401ks for the, for the business that I have. And obviously we put in as much as we possibly can to that. So we are maximizing our tax deferred buckets because this is in my zone of awareness now. 
And even with career selection, you know, going back to my kind of cliche story about how I Googled the top 10 professions and just pick one at the age of 17. And that sent me down an eight to 12 year path, depending on how you look at it and $168,000 of student loan debt. Like, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, that story is overly simplified, but it's not so far off from the truth in that so many of us pick a career just based on what we think the income will be and not based on all the amazing opportunities that are out there. What if you could actually find something that you love that simultaneously pays really well? You know, Abraham Lincoln makes that that quote. Uh, if, if you gave me six hours to chop down a tree, I would spend the first four sharpening the ax. We do not put enough time into career selection. And if your zone of awareness is quite literally the five people in your zip code, then you're probably only going to be exposed to that very limited bias. What if you could expand yourself and you could become a professor of Lego, right? Maybe not right now, but what if you could map out the necessary steps to get that? You're a tenured professor of Lego. Oh my goodness. Forget that example. We have talked about on this show so many opportunities that provide the freedom and the flexibility that we're all pursuing with the path to financial independence, but you get most of it while you're actually in the job. Let's be a little bit more intentional. And then also, if you're in the job already, what does it look like to outperform your peers when it comes to getting those necessary raises, right? I mean, it's not just cutting your expenses. You can only frugalize so far. What does it look like to get 20% raises? We know individuals that have done this. In fact, we even have strategies now that have been documented on the show that, Brad, I'm sure you could list off for us, like things that people aren't thinking about. Yeah, a lot of it just comes down to hard work. And like you said, being a top performer, being excellent at your job. And instead of sitting and talking about Game of Thrones at the water cooler, taking additional classes and certifications and leveling up, right? We had Bradley Rice talk about Salesforce. That was a total game changer for me. We've had talk about coding boot camps where in under a year, you can get skills that will get you a job that maybe can earn you $50,000 or more. We've talked to someone who was a a store manager at Target who made, I think, what, Jonathan, $180,000, something like that. And then we've had travel nurses who you have this amazing flexibility. Many times they pay for your housing and, you know, pay a significant amount of money. We've had Nasima, who is a nurse in the Bay Area and said with just an associate's degree, you can make well over six figures. I mean, just all these little things, when you put them all together, we're creating this kind of database, if you will, of just ideas and ways to approach life. That to me is always the most important thing. It's what have, once I've seen it, that I can't unsee, right? And Jonathan, one that jumps out to me was Chris Hutchins. He talked about how to get any job. And this was just going that extra mile, maybe that extra 50 miles in, in, in this case, but don't just go to a website, click apply and upload your resume and that's it. Do you really think that's going to work? And you know, Jonathan, you, our answer was, that's what we would have done because this wasn't in our zone of awareness. It just simply wasn't. We thought that's how you did it. And Chris just simply said as a CEO that that's not, he's looking for people who are going to show how much they want that job, why they want it. What do they know about the company? What ideas do they have? And that's just a really cool thing. Like I can't unsee that now. Now, obviously, I hope I never have to apply for another job again, but if I did, you can be certain, 100% certain that I'm not just going to go to the application page, upload a resume and say, oh, I hope I get that job. No, hope is not part of it. Go and get that job. Take the job by showing that you desperately want it and that you're going to add value. 
by being an exceptional performer. Yeah, I, I think you know my biggest takeaway is demonstrate that you have already or can already do the job, and they they need you. You know that's positioning yourself for strength. And there's a couple ways that you can do that. One, and this was a blind spot for me: leverage recruiter networks or recruiters when you're looking for this next gig. I had never even considered that a recruiter's incentive is to get you to move jobs in order to do that. They are going to need to bring you a significantly better offer. People that get outsized raises are often people that are willing to go across the street, use that to your advantage. And then the other half of that is make their recruiter's life easier. Your resume is the story you tell yourself about yourself. And I'm the first to say that while I feel like I'm pretty good at telling stories in a verbal audio format, when I go to write it down, I gridlock, I totally gridlock my resume while it should be pretty awesome at this point, does not impress me. It, ju- it just doesn't. It's it's kind of lackluster. And so when I found out about this concept of getting someone else to write your resume for you, take the same information that you saw, but they have a gift for arranging and telling a narrative on this resume, you outsource it. Outsource your weak spots to someone else and see if someone else can help you write the story about yourself better than you could. And then use that to make the recruiter's job even easier. Like it's kind of, again, These are things that other people are doing. These are not unique ideas. Other people are doing this, but because now you've heard it and you're aware of it, maybe you can take action on these. And I know we've mentioned a lot, just kind of like, because we're just kind of hitting you with all these little things that we've kind of talked about on the show, but that's the point. These are things that people have gone into depth to share with us over the past 200 some odd episodes. And it's probably worth your time if you're listening to this for the first time, just to go back to the beginning of the archives and start working your way through this because this information is worth millions of dollars over your investing lifetime. All right, so let's go ahead and open this up and bring in some feedback from the community. And uh, Zach, what do you got for us today? All right, so we got feedback from Matt. He says, throughout your life, you will be told that you are wrong by people in positions of power and respect. Even if those people are completely wrong, we are expected to trust their opinions and move on. At some point, you have to stand up for yourself, challenge the norm, and build your own path. This is one of the most powerful statements I have ever heard. Yeah. And Alan used that. And that was a quote from Alan in the episode. And I completely agree. It's just being willing to challenge the script that you've been handed. And I think so many of us do. We cower to positions of authority. And this is not one of those be disrespectful, be rude, but but be willing to slow down. Don't allow yourself to be rushed and potentially make a faulty decision or something that's not in your best interest. I love that he not only challenged that, but also gave us some tactics on what to do. And in particular, don't let yourself be rushed. Use this language and slow everything down. And then the other thing that Alan said in that same conversation was he was mentioning how when he is increasing his own awareness, he does a lot of it through interviews or you know just conversations. And when he is in those types of conversations, he has certain questions that he asked to go deeper. He said the way that you can gauge whether or not it was a really good question is the length of the pause that an individual has to take before answering it. And that was very, very powerful. It's also a little scary. You know, when you ask someone a question and they don't answer right away, sometimes you're like, oh, did I ask a bad question? As someone that is quite often responsible for asking questions, I can certainly identify with that. But I thought what I loved about it, Brad, was that he had he actually had some questions that he consistently uses. And what I've, what I asked him to do is if he could share those with us, we're going to be including those in our newsletter over the next week or two. So if you've already subscribed, you're good to go. But if you have not yet, if you go to our webpage, you'll see a place right there on the homepage to subscribe and get on our newsletter. We send out a once a week newsletter with uh, best articles from the week and also content like this to help you on your journey. Yeah. And Jonathan, I thought that was cool that Alan said about taking someone 
outside of your normal zone or circle, take them out to lunch, take them out to coffee, just meet interesting people, right? It's this zone of awareness, find new people. If you're just talking to the same people over and over again, you're not really going to expand your horizons or expand your ideas on the world. It just doesn't work that way. And to his point, sit and listen. So many people, you, you see this in real life. So much of what passes for conversation is people just waiting to talk again instead of actually listening. I mean, you, you can see their mouth opening when it looks like the, so the other person's getting ready to finish. They're not listening. They're rehearsing what they're going to say. So to Alan's point, sit and listen and ask these great questions and learn something new. I just, I, I think that's really powerful to me. And the amazing thing is, you know, you mentioned someone that's just ready to hop in with an immediate response. The, the, the part that's so fascinating is if you ask a really good question, it's the only packaged question you need to have because a really good question sends you off into a conversation that will last an hour. So it's not like Alan is peppering him with a pre-prepared spiel as much as he has one awesome very intentional question. And then from there, the conversation takes on a life of its own. And that's the move from small talk to deep talk. And that's a fascinating tool to have in your toolbox. Yeah, totally agree. And, and yeah, just talking about learning new things, actually, Jonathan, this this was really cool. In, in the episode on Monday with Alan, I mentioned how my daughter, Anna at her middle school, that they're going to have this stock market game. Do I have the nerve to stand up and say, I fundamentally disagree with this. This is promoting the exact opposite thinking. And I'm, I'm going to, I assure you that. But I got this amazing email from Nancy who actually teaches personal finance to middle school students. And she says they don't participate in this game. And she said, you are not alone in your thoughts against playing the stock market game as it promotes short-term investing and thinking. At the Next Generation Personal Finance Summit in San Francisco held in March, Bill Bernstein began his address by asking the teachers who teaches personal finance using this game? To those that raised their hands, he replied, then I see I still have work to do. I just thought that was super cool. And she said, you definitely have this support to question the principal or perhaps the teacher for its use. She said, when you do that, offer the best solution to it, which was introduced by this next gen personal finance. And it's called STAX, Stock Market Simulation Game. And we'll link this up in the podcast. And she said that she has used it. My students love STAX. It introduces so much of an investing with an emphasis on value of long-term investing versus short-term, plus the added fees, trading costs, broker's fees, et cetera. One 20-minute game spans and mimics 20 real years of the stock market's actual returns. Wow. I mean, Jonathan, that is just music to our ears, right? Yes. And actually more information, Nancy is actually working with our team of educators, creating a financial literacy curriculum, and they are getting like really close to having a beta for that. So I think they're going to be done with the vast majority of the content by probably August of this year, and then potentially have a financial literacy curriculum to be rolled out really probably for the uh, school year next year. So this is something that I know my wife, Danny and Rob and Nancy and the team have been putting a lot of time into. And it kind of goes again to so much of what we think we're doing when we're trying to help our kids, like with financial literacy is potentially causing them actual harm down the road. This stock market picking game is like the best possible example of the wrong mindset that we're passing along while thinking we're doing them a favor. All right, speaking of, education and awareness. Next, I got a voicemail from Rebecca who calls to share her side hustle that she's been doing for the past 15 years. 
Hi, Brad and Jonathan. Want to tell you about a side hustle that I thought other listeners might be interested in. I am a middle and high school math tutor, and I know that most people on the path to FI are doing a lot with their numbers and so might be interested in starting this as a side hustle. It's flexible for those that are working nine to five jobs because obviously students are in school during the day and need to be tutored on the nights and weekends. Also, if you have a day off, usually they do too for a holiday or something. And so you can do some tutoring then as well. The pay is great depending on your geographical area, of course, and your expertise. But math tutors are pretty hard to find Uh, for most parents. You don't even need to necessarily have a degree in education or math. Parents have asked me about that. But before I had an education degree, uh, no one, there was nobody that turned me down because I didn't have a background in education because it's hard enough to find somebody who can remember and wants to work with a teenager on high school math. So they would always hire me anyway. As far as how to do it, there are online tutoring services that match tutors to students. They do take quite a big cut of your pay rate and you you set your rate and then they take a cut of that. But it is a good way to get started and kind of to get your name out there. I've also in the past just directly contacted high school guidance offices talk to the guidance counselors and let them know that I'm available for tutoring and they would refer me. Uh, I've also gotten my name out on parent groups for different schools, contacted private schools, uh, and some of them have tutoring centers and I've gotten in touch with them personally. You can also work for other companies and they pay their tutors anywhere. I've gotten paid anywhere from 20 to $70 per hour by companies that have hired me to be a tutor. So they do all the marketing and find the students And I actually, I do the tutoring and all of that kind of communication with parents and and that kind of thing. Sky's the limit on what you can make on your own. I've made as much as $90 an hour. Uh, That's the high end of the scale is for those of us that tutor SAT or ACT standardized test prep. Uh, Most companies I've worked for, however, pay in the $20 to $30 per hour range for tutors um, if I'm working for a company. So, But once you get going, uh, word of mouth kind of spreads quickly enough and you can start working for yourself. So that's my scoop on math tutoring as a side gig. And yeah, would love to uh, see other people get into it. There's plenty of room out there for, for math tutors for sure. Thanks so much. You know, Brad, what I love about this is how it ties to what we were just talking about here. Do something that you enjoy, do something that you enjoy. And regardless of what you make for that particular, you know, for that, maybe that first or second or third job or gig, if you've cultivated that skill set after a certain point, word of mouth is everything, creating a brand around whatever service that you are offering, whatever product that you are offering, it allows you to kind of create your own destiny, you know? And if you're doing it from a low risk place, like not having a ton of overhead, there's nothing but upside. Yeah, Rebecca talked about building a network of people. To your point, word of mouth takes over and you don't need to advertise. The best possible advertising is someone saying they trust you and they're telling their friend about you. That's worth its weight in gold. And sure, at the beginning, maybe you're not going to have 10 hours a week of tutoring, but you get that first client, you treat them like royalty, you do a great job and they're going to tell somebody. And I think that's really important. And Rachel said 20 to $30 an hour, all the way up to 70 to $90 an hour. So in this, for a lot of teachers out there, this is a nice way to supplement income. So yeah, really great voicemail. And again, you're just talking about zone of awareness, like on this show, because of 
the breadth of content that we have the audacity to try to cover. We've also been exposed to sustainable living. We've been exposed to energy efficiency and in particular uh, solar. And Brian Feraldi from episode 75 circled back. He is sharing a voicemail with us on energy audits. Hey, Brad and Jonathan. This is your buddy, Brian Feraldi, calling in with a quick tip for listeners who enjoyed episode 121 with Angela from Tread Lightly, Retire Early. Angela mentioned that she recommended that everyone should look into replacing their toilet as an easy way to earn a great ROI by saving money on their water bill. I thought that it was a great idea and just wanted to add that another easy action step for every homeowner that is listening can take is to schedule a whole house energy audit. In some cases, utilities will actually pay for all or part of the cost of the energy audit. In other cases, it might cost a few hundred dollars out of pocket. Either way, getting one done is smart because the energy auditor will come to their house, run some tests, and produce a report that shows you all the things that you could do to lower your utility bills. They also give you cost estimates and a payback period for each project. In my case, the energy audit itself was paid for by my local utility, and the report suggested eight or nine ways that we could save money. A few of the projects were even going to be heavily subsidized by my utility, and we actually were able to add several inches of insulation to my attic and had 75% of the costs paid for by my utility. More recently, we just upgraded to a hybrid heat pump hot water heater and scored a $750 rebate from our utility, in addition to saving ourselves $100 in hot water heating costs each year. All told, we estimate that this project will net us a ROI of about 18% or so annually. My personal rule of thumb is to do any project that has a payback period of 10 years of less since that equates to a 10% return on their investment. However, you could also make the argument that anything that has a 25-year payback period or less still makes sense because the return is nearly guaranteed and you're still exceeding the 4% rule of thumb that many of us use as an assumed safe withdrawal rate. Obviously, this usually only makes sense for people who own their own home and plan on living in it for a long time, but you could also make the argument that some projects are still attractive enough that they should be considered by long-term renters or by people who actually want to sell their homes in a few years since the improvements could actually help attract home buyers down the road that want an energy-efficient house. Either way, a simple action step is to visit your local utility's website to see what they have to offer or call them to see if there are any local energy audit companies that they recommend. Thanks, everybody, and keep up the great work, guys. Jonathan, I love this. I love the concept of the energy audit and how he tied it back to the 4% rule of thumb that we talk about here. So if it had a 25-year payback period or less, it might slash probably make sense from a financial independence perspective. But as he's talking about, if it has a 10-year payback period or less, it is an absolute slam dunk. So I mean, to get a 18% return, I think he said, that's preposterous. So yeah, I mean, this is a nice kind of low-hanging fruit type way to save money really every month on your utility bills. Every time you use the word preposterous on this show, I just I just crack up a little bit on the inside. Like, I don't know. There's, uh. <laughs> I feel like there's like a meme or so. if this were a video podcast, there would need to be like, you know, like the Batman show from the 1965s, like yeah, one yeah. of those bar- balloon bubbles that pops up on the screen. <laughs> preposterous. <laughs> 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 totally agree though. And and I think like to our audience, like if, if someone's listening to this show for the first time, like, man, you guys are kind of like all over the map. Again, all we're trying to do is show you that like you are not, you do not have to be stuck. There's something that you can do this week that by itself may look insignificant, but when you compound that with what you're going to do next week and the following week will drive your life to a better place. And ultimately it all comes together under 
a life optimization strategy. You know, we had this challenge. It's just, this is thematically tied. We had this challenge this month for our audience. We actually were working with a company called compare.com and we were offering a challenge to our community. And again, it's just trying to push you to take action on something each week. And for the month of May, every single person that went to chooseifi.com slash compare and followed the instructions there to get a quote on their auto insurance was entered in a drawing to win $500. And there were actually two separate giveaways for that $500 drawing. The one was just anybody that went to chooseify.com slash compare and followed the instructions. The other was for the person that saved the most money by, by getting this quote and by taking action on these concepts. Some people already have great auto insurance. Other people are hemorrhaging money and just never stop to consider what it was actually costing them. This is like a perfect example. If you're thinking of something that you want to do this week, just do it for yourself. Just check your auto insurance. Have you done that ever? Make sure you're getting a good price. Follow up on this. But also the other half of that is if you're following this advice within the next couple of days, so this episode's going out on Friday, there's still a couple of days left in the month. If you follow the instructions and get yourself a quote during the month of May, you're going to be entered in a drawing for $500 and uh, we will be announcing the winner next month. So uh, maybe make that your one action step this week. Yeah. And Jonathan, action is the important part there. It's ultimately not even the result. You might find out that your car insurance is optimized. We had a lot of people put a comment in on our website on that podcast episode and said, oh, the quote that I got back was actually the same or higher roughly. That's fine. That doesn't mean it's a failure or it was a waste of a couple of minutes. It means you got up and took action and tried to save some money. So I think in my case, I'm the perfect example of this. I was just like blissfully unaware for years with my car insurance. I was reasonably happy because it was dramatically less than what I was paying in New York. And that was stupid. I should have gotten a quote at least every year because things change. What's the harm? It took me five minutes to do. I moved to Geico a couple of years ago. And actually when I put my information in, I found out I still can save some more money. So I think it's just kind of cool to get up and just assess your bills, do this with your cable, do this with your internet, do it with your phone every year. See, am I paying a reasonable amount or am I overpaying for no reason for the exact same service? So if you get an auto quote, great, good for you, but it's more important to just take action on these things that you're just letting operate in the background. All right, to our audience, just a couple things as we start to wrap up this episode, I wanted to mention to you guys the playing with fire screening tour is hopefully coming to a theater near you in the month of June or July. There's a couple points I wanted to make. One is just let people know a couple of events that are already teed up. And if you're in that area, hopefully you will be able to go to one. We would love for you to be there. You can view all the screenings taking place at playingwithfire.co slash events. We will have a, uh, a link to that in the show notes for today's episode. There are a couple screenings that are already sold out, San Diego, London, and San Francisco. San Francisco is a little bit interesting because I think they're looking at potentially getting a larger venue. So if you're hearing about this and you missed the tickets the first time around, just definitely join your local group and let them know they, there may be a way that you could still go to that. Washington, D.C. is now scheduled for June 13th. That's Thursday, June 13th. Brad and myself, as well as Scott and Taylor, will be joining you guys there. Uh, we're going to have an introduction to the film and a Q&A following we're also looking at maybe doing some type of an after party after the event as well, just to hang out for a little bit farther because Thursday is the new Friday. <laughs> but if you <laughs> haven't yet gotten your ticket, those are going to go really, really fast. So uh, definitely get that ASAP. Now in Seattle, there's going to be a screening on June 24th. If you go to that one, 
That one's going to be fantastic. Vicky Robin is going to be joining uh, Scott Taylor and Travis with that same format. It's going to be the introduction of the film followed by the Q and a, and there's a couple other screenings as well that are teed up on that page that I just want to let you know of. Detroit has one. Those tickets are selling fast Atlanta and New York. The New York one is not yet locked down in terms of venue, but we have the date. It's going to be on June 27th. We are planning on being in New York, and I believe Gene Chatsky is actually going to be joining us as well at that screening event. So hope that you will be able to join us there. Now, the other thing is that uh, Scott has partnered with a theater distribution company called Tug to basically set it up. If there's enough interest in any city around the country, we can do a screening there. There has to be a minimum of 70 tickets sold. And just because I'm hoping that there's some people in this audience in each of these cities already, there are already well over 20 screenings that have already been set up. So if you happen to be in Albany, Anchorage, Birmingham, Boston, Brookfield, Dallas, Denver, St. Louis, Fayetteville, Fort Worth, Grand Rapids, Henderson, Honolulu, Louisville, Lubbock, Marion, Minneapolis, Nashville, Pittsburgh, Rochester, both Minnesota and New York, San Francisco, Springfield, Tempe, Valparaiso, and Maui. Now that list is going to be expanding every single day, right? So I just say that if you happen to hear that city be given a shout out, definitely go to playingwithfire.co slash events. And there are links down on that page to all of those local screenings that are already happening. Scott is updating that page every single day with new screenings that are being kicked off. Obviously we want to make sure every single one of those hits that 70 ticket minimum threshold. So please make sure you go to that page first. And then if you don't see one in your local area, you can go to chooseify.com slash tug. That's T-U-G-G, chooseify.com slash tug. And you can actually set up a screening in your area. If you're trying to find people in your area to go to the screening with you and you're not already in our local groups, we have local groups all over the country. And honestly, the big thing about this is just awareness. Once people know there's a screening, they're going to want to join you. Just make sure that you're in the local group and you are sharing that link so that you guys can have a screening in your area. I mean, that would be amazing. All right, guys, unfortunately, that is going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. And there's three books that we currently offer. I will say that in the next couple months, uh, this, this kind of ending for the show is going to change a little bit because we actually have a book that is going to be available starting in October. So starting in October, this ending will slightly change and we will be, we will happily offer you one of our books as well. But in the interim for that, we have three books that we're huge fans of. The first is JL Collins book, the simple path, to wealth. The second is Dominic Cartuccio's book, design your future. And the third book from Vincent Puglisi freelance to freedom. If you want to enter the drawing, all you need to do is just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes, follow the instructions instructions there. Leave us a short written review and then send us an email to feedback at chooseify.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get and we announce the winner on the Friday roundup. Brad, how many winners do we have today? All right, Jonathan, we have one winner today and the winner is Diana. And she said, thank you, Brad and Jonathan, for building this community. I never knew that such a group existed until recently. It's like I lived in the matrix and my cord is unplugged by listening to your episodes. I'm absolutely blown away by all this information. I just recently got my husband into it too and hope to finally get our finances in order. Shout out to my best friend, Jen, who introduced me to the group. I'm all fired up. Diana, thank you so much for that review. That that is amazing. We are so grateful for your feedback. To our audience, you know, if you heard about our book, it's actually, it's gonna be titled Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. If you wanna find out more information or put your pre-order in, you can just go to chooseify.com slash book. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast. 
where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.